This episode of Inside Acting is brought to you in part by Rehearsal 2, the app for actors. Want to learn your lines fast? Be off book for auditions? Explore your characters and make stronger choices? There's an app for that. Rehearsal 2. Download it now at rehearsaltheapp.com slash download. That's rehearsaltheapp.com slash download. Hello and welcome to episode one, two, three of Inside Acting. I'm AJ Meyer. And I'm Trevor Elgott. And on this podcast, we interview one. Uh, Where are you going with one, this, man? Uh, here, hang on, hang on. One person from the industry. Ah, ah, ah. Two uh, okay. person from the industry. Ah, ah, ah. Three person from the industry. Ah, ah, ah. And we put it into this podcast and put it on the internet for you fine people. That's right. And we're. We're two dudes that, that do that. You know, we don't we don't uh, have some sort of special technique or system that we you know think you need to work. I mean, all we all we really try to do here is just talk to people and hear what the common threads are that uh, got them from where they were to where they wanted to be. And and also, you know, we just try to kind of be champions for living a a life of integrity. So that's wow. all that's all we are. You know, all this is to say we're not we're not pros or. Well, maybe we are pros. I guess professional is a subjective term, but you know, we're not experts. I was, was going to say, you're speaking for yourself right yeah. now. <laughs> I'm a professional actor. We're not, we're, yeah, we're not people who claim to have all the answers. So if you hear something on the show that uh, that doesn't jive with you or that totally jives with you and you just want to chime in and add your two cents, we love to hear from our listeners uh, on on both sides of the, uh, of the fence. So feel free to get in touch with us. Lots of different ways to do it. Get started at our website, InsideActingPodcast.com. And on this episode, we've got part two of our interview with the lovely Carrie Bechet. So stick around for that. So hey, dude. What's wrong with your voice, AJ? Oh, um, not nothing. What are you talking about? It's gorgeous. It's <laughs> glorious. Um, yeah. I know. I we when, we used to get. I guess our listeners don't care anymore. But we used to get emails sometimes in the early days where people were like, "Oh, like Trevor, are you sick? Like, are you feeling like what's going on, buddy?" When because I mean we're like. What did, uh, who said the mic is a, a no bullshit detector? Oh man, who was Was that? it one of our guests that was talking about like VO? Yeah, it might have been. I don't remember. <laughs> it might have been was. David. I mean, it might have been yeah. David Lawrence. I don't yeah. know. But they were saying like it's a no bullshit detector because it's so sensitive and we're right here and right. We're, right. we're right up in the business. Um, and so anytime that you're, yeah, I w- so I was sick and I'm, I'm not sick anymore, but as a result of like a lot of coughing and then a lot of, um, uh, excited, passionate speech over the last few days. Uh, it's, it's pretty thrashed. Uh, I have been, uh, supporting it from my diaphragm, um, as a good theater actor should, um, but I think it's just the, it been the constant barrage of the, yeah. the coughing followed by the excited, passionate, 
sharing of my voice. Yeah. Um, I'm <laughs> Trevor's laughing because he knows what I'm talking about, but I've been staffing um, the advanced course for, uh, uh, well, in this case, MITT, but you know, no matter what center you go to anywhere in the United States, Puerto Rico, Spain, France, where are some of the other Mexico. centers? Curriculum is going to be very similar. So anyway, I'm staffing it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. It's like 12 yeah. hours a day and you're, you know, cranking. So Trevor has been gracious enough to get up super early today. So oh, that we it's can... not super early. This is nothing. This is the second time you've done this now, right? Yeah. Yeah. Second time uh, I've staffed uh, advanced. I did basic and advanced last time and, and just yeah. advanced this time. Um, yeah. It's, it's just such a beautiful process because, um, you know, the whole point is to get people into a space where they're ready to declare what's next for themselves from vision. I've got this guy in my group that is an art, a sculptor and he, and he has this vision to create these like amazing ginormous like sculptures that are contributed to from multiple cultures around the world. Wow. He could allow, you know, circumstances to stop him from doing that. Like, Oh, I don't have enough time. I don't have enough money. I don't have, I, I can't, you know, reach out to enough people to make it happen. Da, 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 da. Or what I had the space I have him into now is like, he sees it. He wants to make it happen. You know, you know, he knows it's going to happen. And now the how it doesn't matter because mm -hmm. it's, he's vision driven, vision driven, vision driven. Um, and it's beautiful. It's beautiful to see what is possible for people and just five yeah. days. My experience of, uh, of all this stuff, you know, like I, I haven't staffed yet, but you know, going through the process, it's so cool because MITT and these other centers that do the same kind of work, they don't try and sell you on some method it's all about you. It's all about like, great, you want this. What are you going to do? Yeah. To make and a it lot happen. They don't try to sell you some course on, okay. Oh, it's funny you say that because we've got a course on sculpture and you know, <laughs> right. for, for 1995. <laughs> so I, I just, it, it's so cool to see people's creativity and inventiveness and inner entrepreneur and whatever they need to summon from within themselves to make these audacious things happen. Yeah. They do. And it's so cool to see it just kind of come out of them. Yeah. Uh, and as then, a part of the process. And the trainers will even say like, you know, you get to do the work. Transformation doesn't happen to you, right? You don't, you don't pay your money and then go in and then sit there and say, yeah. transform me. <laughs> yeah. Like a, some passive, you know, essentially victim. Um, but what, how I like to see that is uh, I, you can apply that statement to anything. You know, it's not just transformation doesn't happen to you. It's like life doesn't happen to you. Your career doesn't happen to you. Uh, your, you know, success doesn't happen to you. You don't, you know what I mean? Like yeah. that's, then you have no power. You're powerless. So, you know, I think that the application in terms of our listeners specifically is like the, the, the industry is not going to come to you and like hand you, you know, your career on a silver platter, you know, and I know it's a simple concept and most people out there are going, yeah, I, <laughs> I know. Um, but okay, cool. But there's a difference between knowing and being. And yes, yes, yes. Um, so what are you, what are you doing about it? Yeah, exactly. It's like Alan Barton <clears throat> introduced us to that concept or introduced me to that concept. I should say when he talked about 
people wanting to go to the movies and to see, uh, I think he termed it fuck me cinema where they just wanted to lay there and kind of be, you know, proverbially fucked by the movie. Just like, didn't want to do any work. They were just like, entertain me. I'm here. Yeah. Do something, you know, and, and movies that actually, uh, ask the viewer to engage and think and, um, get involved in, in, I don't know, I guess deconstructing the narrative, you know, like I guess a movie like Memento would, would ask somebody to do that. And a movie like Jurassic Park, which is a good movie, actually. Um, not so much. It's more of like a, an act, like a ride, you know, Mm -hmm. so it's the difference between, between going on a ride and being part of the ride, if that makes sense. Mm, But, but yeah. So just to kind of put it in industry terms, I, I love that. Um, and it's so cool. You said like your career is not going to happen to you. Yeah. Like you get to do the work and, and that's, that feels very different than I think most of us think it would feel like we have this vision of like what we want our life to be like. And then it's like, when it comes down to actually the nitty gritty putting in the work, it's like, this isn't what I imagined, you know? Yeah. But once you get used to that feeling, it starts to become this whole new thing. Yeah. Even if my career could be served to me on a silver platter, like let's say I could push a button and like, I would have like all the success that I ever wanted, like handed to me. I don't think I would like, it would be tempting. I'm not saying it wouldn't be tempting, but I don't think I would because even if that were to happen, I would still be powerless. I did Mm. nothing to create it. I did nothing to have it happen. So I have no ownership over it. So then it's still yeah. not mine. I'm, I mean, I'm holding it. It's in my hands, yeah. but it's, it still feels like it, it doesn't belong to me. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's like Tony Horton said, get into that place you want to be hard. Stay in there even harder. Mm. And that yeah. really stuck out to me when he said that a couple weeks, a couple months ago. Now. Yeah. That guy has some of the biggest legs of any, however old man he is. I've ever seen. He's in his like, mid fifties now. I know. I don't think he said this when we were recording, but he said, uh, you know, it's like being at that successful place. He's like, it's just, it's kind of all smoke and mirrors. Like you're the same person when you're there. Yeah. And you know, like he's like, yeah, I have the, you know, I go drive nice cars for a little while and that's fun for a bit. He's like, but it always comes back to the same common denominator and that's me. And do I have the ability to enjoy this? Hmm. And he said, you know, like it's really, he said, it's not that fun. The fun part is the creation of the products and the, and the things that he's working on, but being there, being that successful person is like, he's like, it's tough. You got to look like a million bucks. Every time you walk out the door, if I go to the grocery store in my pajamas, it's like all of a sudden the paparazzi got me. And all of a sudden I'm like the, the, you know, the snake oil salesman schlumpy guy, you know, at Seven Eleven. who's, he's like, so I've got to look, I've got to look wow. a certain way every time I go outside and. And, you know, that was just one of the things that he mentioned when we were not recording. And I was just like, wow, I I never thought of that. You know, I just kind of imagined that Tony Horton rolls out of bed looking awesome all the time. But it's like he's got to project that image. There's there's a high likelihood that I may be moving to New York next year. And I can't talk about why. My manager and I sat down um, and I kind of, and we, and we talked about it. She's excited. She thinks it would be a good opportunity. Um, Stone Manor Sounders, my agency has an office there. Cool. She, I know that she's was excited about it. That was kind of like, what's my manager going to say? How is this going to go over? And so she's, yeah, she's behind you for she, it. Yeah. She's, she's on board. So I was 
surprised to be honest because mm. she's been pushing so hard for the um film and television thing to happen out here the details are coming together um so i will be able to just full-on you know blast it um i think pretty soon cool um but uh yeah that was the only thing that was the sort of industry thing that happened this week the other thing that i wanted to mention about that meeting that just to inspire our listeners before we move on is um she said something about i don't she said something along the lines of i don't think that your acting career is your highest priority right now and i think that's a mistake what came up for me was in a way she's right in that i don't wake up every day and think okay what can i do to push my career forward or what can i do to work on my craft or what can i do to work on my relationships or in the business or what can I, it's not, it's not like an everyday thing where I spend almost all day on it. And I think that that is a mentality that gets us places. The thing that I connect that with is the thing that our friend, uh, who was on the podcast Caduce said about his girlfriend who will definitely be on the po- uh, podcast at some point where her name's Alexis. And she told herself, I am going to focus, put my entire focus on this one thing. She wanted to book a series. She said, I'm not going to take lunch meetings that don't support it. I'm not going to go to workshops that don't support it. I'm not going to do anything that doesn't support this one goal. So she got super focused and it happened. She would, she was turning down lunch meet. People were like, you know, wanting to meet with her and just anything that was not in line with that vision, going back to vision, she wasn't doing it. She wasn't up to it. And it happened. She's going to be on this series on ABC called Mixology. So then hearing that from my manager again this week, I was like, that's, it's actually inspiring. I don't feel like I'm not beating myself up about, you know, what she said. It's like, how can I come from that place? Even to the, even to the point of like what I'm up to this week, which is like some people would be like, oh, you're you're stuck in a room. You're not really doing anything. Da, da, da. It's like, no. How is this? It's what Carrie says. I don't know if she says in the first part of her interview or the second part. But remember where she was talking about like if you want – if you're like like as an actor, like our, the whole point is to become a, a, a more complete human so that we can be a better actor, right? And so she said something along the lines of how is reading this book that has nothing to do with the industry or acting or whatever supportive of me as an actor? Hmm. Right. She said something like going out and having all of these experiences supports you in being an actor and vice versa. Yeah. Um, so that's the sort of sentiment that I'm speaking about. Cool. Interesting to get that kind of feedback from your manager and to have that feedback come in the context of the conversation you were having it in about this you know, not minor life change. Yeah. I mean, we, we talked about other things as well. Yeah. Um, and that was just one of the things that came up and just to kind of switch gears really quickly. I had a, a pretty big meeting last week for a, a series regular on a major network show. And I was excited about it. It was right kind of in my wheelhouse as it were, as far as the role goes. And, uh, and I went in for it and it was kind of a tough pill to swallow because I was pretty convinced that it was a great fit until 
I got into the room and then, uh, and I met the casting director and right off the bat, I could just tell, you know, you just have that knowledge. I could just tell that she was like, nope. And, you know, I did my read and I could see out of the corner of my eye that she was kind of like looking down and like playing with her nails and stuff while I was reading. And I was just like, uh, fuck this you know like i was just it was just i could feel it that it wasn't the right match and she was just kind of being patient and waiting for me to finish my read so she could move on to the guy that was the match and the only thing that kind of felt good about that was knowing a that i had done the work that i had done my homework and i had prepared and i was in there and i was doing my job and i was doing it you know pretty well i'd like to think and that uh perhaps i booked the office and then b um, that I had other stuff going on in my life, you know, yeah. that I had, uh, you know, all the other projects that I'm involved with and that this is, this was just one little thing. Um, so it was one of those interesting journeys and I was excited about it. And then I just, it wasn't like my heart dropped, but I could just sense right off the bat. I was like, Oh, okay. You know? And then when actually when I left and there were other, there were kind of new guys in the waiting room. Cause when I was there, I was the only guy there. And when I left, there were more guys waiting to go in after me. I could just see that what they were looking for was different than what I was hmm. Physi- even just physically. Yeah. You know? And I was like, okay, that's all right. Whatever. But you know, I'm not beating myself up. I had the opportunity to be in that office. I was playing the game, you know? So sure. I, yeah. I don't know. They, the thing you were telling me about her being distracted and looking down and stuff like that, it's, that's frustrating for me. Yeah, it is. It's, it's yeah. really disrespectful. And yeah, booking the office, like she, you know, she, she or he or any casting directors missing out on an opportunity to meet a new actor. And, yeah. and, and I feel like good casting directors are excited to meet new actors. You know, yeah. Like I, I went in for a, a, a role on a soap at one time. I didn't even get a call back, and I was totally not right. I was like ten years older than the character, something like that. And I remember the casting just being excited to meet me, and then you could tell it was like she was excited because I was a new, I was an actor she hadn't met before. You know, it was that kind of that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um. So I don't know. It, it, it just kind of irks me a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. In the end, I get to take responsibility for the, the way it went. And, but you know, like I don't take it personally, but it was just one of those, one of those, I wanted to bring it up because it's one of those experiences that we all have as actors where you're just like, how do you handle this? And I was so glad that I went into it knowing I was like, you know what, if this doesn't work out and it, it might not, um, no big deal. I got so many other things going on. And if I don't book this, then cool. That gives me more time to do X, Y, and Z. Mm. And that was my mindset. And then after I left, I was like, next, you mm. know, that was, so it was good to be, get to that place so quickly. Yeah. Cause I think typically in the past I would have, you know, kind of sat on that experience for a day or two and kind of beat myself up about it. Hmm. Good. Anyway. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it's, it's, you can either do something right after the audition, like Emily Rose talks about. Yeah, yeah. You know, going to Disneyland, which, or yeah, which I've done. Yeah, or, or yeah, or you can um, just know that you're up to a lot of awesome things. Yeah, and be up to them. Yeah, before you go in the room. <laughs> cool, man. Well, uh, no voicemails or emails on this episode, 
So shall we roll into uh, to part two of our chat with Carrie? Yeah, let's do it. Awesome. So here's part two. As, as AJ said, we go deeper down the rabbit hall. Oh, stop. And, uh, and it's just what a great person to talk to, man. So enjoy uh, part two of our chat, guys, and we'll catch you on the other side. I guess I'm just curious to hear how, and this is a question we've gotten a couple of times in the podcast before, how it went from Nice Guy Johnny to the other projects to Red State to Argo, and then now to this AMC project. Because one question we got, in fact, this is one of the first questions we got, was, was, okay, cool. So we hear stories about people that are like, I moved to LA and I took some acting classes and I auditioned a lot. And then eventually, yeah, I was in Michael's <laughs> chimney. And eventually I was an avatar and it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> like what happened between then, you know? Well, I think it's so, we, we tend to, in retrospect, put on a sense of, um, a, like a causal <laughs> kind of relationship between things. Um, that may or may not be true. <laughs> I have a dubious relationship with history. I don't believe it exists. I think um, everything is so subjective. I think it's all it's all storytelling, and um, mm. so. And I know this is you're asking me about facts about like what <laughs> happened, but even even that I find to be a really hard thing to take a a strong position on. Um, I, I also I've been reading a lot of neuroscience this summer. Yes. And um, there's really on a, on a chemical level, our experiences are all so subjective yeah. <laughs> and yeah. malleable. Um, and actually, in the course of remembering things, we ruin the memory by reinforcing the neural pathway that was created. We distance ourselves from the actual experience of the thing that actually happened mm. because it's we're reinforcing the story we're telling about what happened as opposed to what really happened. So, right. Um, it's always through a filter of some kind. Yeah. Anyway. So that's just to say that you should take everything I'm going to say with the hugest grain of salt. <laughs> um, but one of my, so Zach, uh, Braff directed a TV pilot that his brother wrote. And, um, I was a couple years out of college and he hired me to do that. Um, it didn't get picked up. It was this hour long, a uh, sort of comedic drama about night shift EMTs. Um, and that was one of my first jobs. And I remember uh, they were teaching us how to use the gurney. And I said, well, that's all well and good. I know how a gurney works now, but when am I going to like find out when I say my line and like where I stand and when I move over there and when I pick up the gurney, you know? And they're like, oh, you know, uh, on the day. And I was like, yes, this is what day? That's what I'm asking. What day will that happen? <laughs> And they were like, the day that we shoot it. And I was like, are you, are you crazy? Have you lost your mind on the, on the day we're supposed to? That's insane. Because to me, I was coming from theater where you have five weeks to rehearse yeah, everything. Yeah. So I was appalled, mostly, that no one had told me that this is how it would be. <laughs> I don't know how you could go through four years of school not being prepared for the fact that you learn your blocking on the day that you film it. Yeah. Um, so that was <laughs> one of my first jobs. Uh, right after that, I did a two-hour TV pilot uh, in Vancouver that Peter Berg directed. Um, awesome. It was this sci-fi crazy 
adventurer thing on a spaceship in the future. And that was really fun. And that also didn't get picked up. Um, in the meantime, I was doing theater in New York and, uh, off Broadway plays. I did a Broadway play. Um, and then, and then I think maybe a year later I met Eddie and we were set to start shooting this short film that became nice guy, Johnny. And that's when scrubs happened. And we shot, the reason that we shot five days in the Hamptons was because I had five days off. It was my week hiatus from the show. So I flew back to New York from doing scrubs, um, and shot nice guy, Johnny, and then came back to work. And then, and then I don't know. I mean, I don't know what happened after that. I guess, um, I just met Kevin. I made a tape for Kevin and he, I hadn't met him. The first day I met him was on set and he was wearing a bathrobe outside because he's like that. That sounds like Kevin's man. Yeah. Yeah. And that was a really wonderful experience. He was really great to work with. And Argo happened interestingly because, uh, Kevin had Ben watch, uh, Red State, uh, because they're friends from, from way Mall back in chasing Amy, chasing and Amy that, days. Yeah. 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 Um, and so Ben watched red state and basically he, he put Michael Parks, the lead of red state. Michael Parks has a tiny role in Argo. Um, and me and John Goodman are all from red state. Awesome. Uh, yeah. So, and that's basically just how that happened. So, at the time, it feels really chaotic, and you don't know what is going to mean anything ever. Um, but I think, looking back at it, uh, when I did the pilot for Zach, I met his crew and his producers, which were a lot of the same people from Scrubs. And so those relationships um, really influenced probably how they felt about being able to hire me a couple years later when I went and did the the series. And then getting to do really good work with Kevin led, I mean, it, it almost never happens quite immediately like that, but it led directly to being able to do Ben's movie. The thing that I like about that is it feels like if you're a nice person, if you're, if you behave yourself, if you comport yourself well and you treat people nicely, um, people want to keep working with you. Hmm. Um, and that really is true. It really it really matters. I mean, aside from it mattering, which it does on a human level on like a, you should feel good about yourself and, you know, and not honor that bizarre hierarchy that they enforce in the movie industry where like some people are more important and better than other people. Mm-hmm. Um, then I think, you know, it really does. People do appreciate that. And, and there is a lot of value in it. Um, even if it doesn't seem like that. And then, and then work makes other work. And even if you think a movie disappears into the ether, you know, those Ed Burns movies, um, are so small and they're, you know, they're all whatever multi-platform digital releases. And so who knows where they go, but people want to talk to me more about those movies than anything (laughs) I've ever done. Um, I think people feel really close to them They're They have intimate relationships with Eddie's characters. They're really, you know, you watch them on your computer, on your TV, in your home. They're really kind of, um, personal for people, I think. And, um, so it's a, it's a funny, it's, it's a, a funny thing that's true that those movies are, you know, one of the more yeah. <laughs> either widely known or seen things that, that I've 
that I've worked on. Yeah. God, that's really interesting. Yeah. When I had met you at the Douglas, I, I had only seen nice guy, Johnny. Um, and I think after I met you, I was like, okay, just, you know, if this works out, I got to be familiar with her work. So I went to go see, I watched his other film, which was newlyweds Newlyweds. that you were in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's really, really funny, but that's, that's really interesting that people have the most intimate relationship and they talk to you the most about some of the smallest projects. Yeah. Well, I think too, people don't, I I actually, I like this. I don't think people know that I'm in Argo. (laughs) I don't think people know that I'm in red state really. And I, I remember I did a play reading in my friend's living room and sat next to this guy, this guy that I just met that night and we'd read this play and we'd been hanging out for like three hours. And then he was telling me about this movie he'd just seen red state um, (laughs) and how much he loved it. How do I see? And he was telling me about it. And I was like, Oh yeah. (laughs) Um, And eventually we got to the fact that I was, in it. And he was like, Oh, who were you in it? I was like, I'm the only girl. I'm the, what do you mean? (laughs) We're sitting this far apart from each other. And I actually, I love that. Um, I think I, my goal, I, I, I would, I would love to think of myself as a character actor. I think that's like a really, like a, a badge (laughs) that people should wear. I think it's so, um, I think that's the point. I want to be an I want to be an actor. Um, and Eddie's movies, I get to be. I, I really do think those are those are very much roles that I'm playing and people that are not myself. Um, but they're a little closer to to me, maybe. But I love getting to to play things that really aren't me. Like the relationship in Argo, I think is very a very period marriage. Um, I think it's very subtle, but there are some. Uh, it feels very much like an old school relationship between a husband and wife. And I love that. And that's definitely not part of my world. And I remember John Goodman uh, on Red State, we'd just met and we were standing around waiting for something. And he was like, so uh, where in Texas are you from? And I was like, <laughs> New Jersey. <laughs> but the, I just, the, I couldn't the New think. Jersey part of Trenton. It was like the, the, yeah best unwitting compliment anyone could give you. you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel good. That is really cool. Um, the thing that you said about the <clears throat> the intimacy of the Ed Burns films and how like people always tend to ask you about those as opposed to, you know, other things that you've done, it made me want to ask you about a conversation that we've been having on the podcast lately because it is a sort of uh, it's in the zeitgeist right now. I don't know if you've seen this like amazing speech that um kevin spacey for instance gave at this um film and television conference out in edinburgh scotland um but basically it's a it's sort of the question of like i hesitate to say like the future of the entertainment industry but sort of what's happening right now with like the netflix generation and how like house of cards was so incredibly popular and successful and just sort of like where television is kind of going. Like we joked around about like film and television like in theater. Everything's dying all the time. But really, it, you know, it's just evolving. And it's a conversation that we've been having on the podcast a lot because it's a podcast that's focused on the industry. So like you're so freaking smart that I like I really want to hear what your take is on it from. And I don't think we've asked an actor in an interview what they sort of think about um their sort of take on like where the industry is going and what's happening right now with the move to sort of um, this more digital content, digital delivery, that kind of thing. Uh, I think I have, 
I have a number of ways that I look at that. And by that, I mean like sort of perspectives on that, on that issue. And, um, the first thing that I think of is I, I, is similar to how I feel about, um, technology in general. Uh, I think there's a sort of a cultural bifurcation that happens. So, um, it, it's, it splits into our, um, need and desire for a uh, faster technology, smaller technology. I think the iPhone creates and necessitates an equal and, and opposite reaction in the other direction. <laughs> uh, I don't think it's accidental that, uh, that technology advances and we also have the slow food movement and that <laughs> everyone wants to do yoga or mm. I lived in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, and there's, we always make fun of it, but there's, you know, people are wearing, uh, old timey hats and mustaches and suspenders and things, and they're hand curing their own beef and pickling things. And, um, love it. Love it. There's, there is, uh, it, and in the art world too, there's, uh, hand, handcrafts and, um, home, homemade things, hand, handmade things have a real premium on them now because, um, I think there's this, uh, automization and digitization in so much of our lives. I think we really crave, um, something unique, something handmade, something personal, uh, in a way that mass media, well, and to get back to the media question, um, doesn't provide us. So one of the things I think, well, I, it was one of my feelings about the future is that we, we won't pay for vacations, like hotels that have internet access. We will pay a premium for hotels and vacations where we don't have internet access. <laughs> I think it's only been 10 years or so to get know, from right? one stream to the other. It, yeah. it goes, there's a formula or something about how that, the rate at which technology advances. And it's just, it's a yeah. astronomical accelerating rate, curve yeah. or whatever um, yeah, it's. Um, I used to know it. It's 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 named after a guy who used to work for Intel. One of the things that makes me feel is like uh, theater is more critical than ever and has a real place in the world going forward um, because we have such a desire and such a need for a real human visceral interaction. So I'm I'm excited by that. I think it's an exciting moment. I think the means of production have gotten so inexpensive. We can sit in your living room and have a high quality recording of our conversation and you can make that available to the world. Um, that has the possibilities for just egalitarian, <laughs> uh, you know, openness of conversation um, is really exciting for, you know, in terms of uh, the expansion of ideas, the creation of really interesting stories and art. It's open to a lot more people. That's one of the reasons that Ed Burns movies exist because he can shoot them the way he wants to shoot them, which is, you know, on a poster stamp size camera in a bodega on the corner. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he and why he can shoot with a three man crew and he doesn't need five million dollars to make one of those movies. I I do still believe that people want good content. I think there's so much content we get lost a little bit. Um, 
but I think audiences really want good content and I think it requires uh, a lot of effort to make good content. I don't think just because the means of production are available to anyone that that means that anyone can make a good movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm not, when <laughs> people YouTube. get concerned yeah. about that, about the future of quality, um, TV or movies, I'm not too worried. And this idea of the cultural bifurcation that I, you know, I think about with technology and homemade handcraft kind of, uh, things, technology and, and, uh, you know, Luddites or whatever, um, I think exists too with, I, I think about the evolution of television and the rise of reality TV, for instance, that everyone said was going to be the apocalypse of right. TV also happened at the same time that HBO and cable had its real resurgence and all these shows that we really love and talk about Mad Men happened. So uh, really that take a great investment of your intellect and your you know time and energy and um, there are these long... And we, we talk about the how uh, shorter attention spans are now, but Game of Thrones, people are obsessed with Game of Thrones. They'll watch Game of Thrones for 30 years if they could, you know? Mm -hmm. I think they're deeply invested in it. And so I think these two things happen at once. I don't know. I, so so I, I can't really take a position for or against. I, I just, I think it's a fact. It's what's happening. I think there's some really exciting possibilities. Um, and that's, that's how I feel about it. That's awesome. I, I do feel kind of like it's, it just kind of can't be stopped. It's going to go in the direction it's going to go because people are going to want to explore that. And I feel like there's these conversations around it are great to bring awareness to it. But I think in the end, we're all just kind of along for the ride, you know? And it is interesting because our attention spans are shorter than ever. You know, we're, we're now like paying attention to things in like little bite-sized chunks when we want to, when the context asks for it. But then we go and we binge. Like I watched five episodes of Breaking Bad the other day, like in a row. And I was like, that whole attention span argument is bullshit. Because <laughs> I, for five hours, I was glued to my my TV and watching every facet of that story. I watched this. Um, <laughs> I saw Gats. Do you guys know about Gats? Yeah, uh, the um, they they do the whole entire book of Great Gatsby, right? Yeah, it's a play, it awesome. a theater company, the Elevator Repair Service. Yeah. Um, it's a New York theater company. They do an eight-hour yeah. version, theatrical version, where they perform the entire text and exclusively the text of The Great Gatsby. That's so awesome. uh, and, you know, we, we talk about media and Snapchats. <laughs> and meanwhile, there's also people are, there's a real desire to sit down and watch a play for eight hours. Yeah. It's granted a very localized desire to certain groups of people, but still, um, you yeah. know, people see Wagner's the ring cycle and eight but, hours. Oh my God. I know. I remember I did a featurette thing, thing for that for the public. Cause they did Gats at the public, I think in New York and I, I did oh, okay. a video for them and it just looked so cool, man. Um, so we're, we're kind of close to the end here. So we have a couple questions we'd like to wrap up every guest with, um, that sounded weird, but, uh, <laughs> wrap them up, wrap them up, saran wrap. cocoon them with, lie down. No, um, and so, but before we get to those questions, I'm just curious, what other, what do you do outside of your acting life? What other hobbies and interests do you have? Um, I am making an art book with my painter friend, Jenny, right now. And that's, uh, one of my most, I'm really excited about that, this art project. Um, I learned how to make a pop-up element for one of my illustrations. Awesome. <laughs> so that's one thing. Um, 
I uh, recently really tried, well, I did, I successfully, I convinced my friend who is a journalist um, to let me be a reporter, to let me go and do research for him on a story. And then it all fell through at the last minute and I was really disappointed about it. Um, but I, sometimes I think acting is a job that makes me unfit to do any other kind of work. You know, my professional skills include, I'm really empathetic and (laughs) I'm, I'm insatiably curious and I don't know what Excel is, <laughs> you know, so I, I just don't think it, sometimes it makes me feel like I have no practical skills of any kind. And he was telling me about this, uh, story he wanted to write that he'd been really interested in. He said they were going to send their research assistant to go, uh, you know, interview these people. And I was like, I'll do it. I'll do it. Let me do it. Send me. And it was kind of a joke. And then we realized, I think, that it was a really good idea. So hopefully in the future, there'll be an opportunity for me to go do that. But I think those skills are applicable when you're trying to convince someone to tell them, to tell you their story, uh, that you are empathetic, that you are a good conversationalist, that you're a people person, that you are curious, that you have a sense of narrative. So um, I think I found my my day job (laughs) (laughs) moonlight as an actor that's really cool that's really cool and i I asked that because my experience of you is that you're so present with your life and with your with your activities and with what you're doing that it, it would be impossible for you to not be as interested in other avenues of expression and creativity and whatnot in other parts of your life i should say though uh my so my brother's a biochemist um and he for the the AMC show that I'm about to go do halt and catch fire, which is, uh, based on the be- the burgeoning, uh, PC industry in the eighties. So, uh, mm. there were a bunch of sort of upstart computer engineers, um, who believed in making the world a better place who were making IBM clones basically to try and come up with a better computer product. And that's what the show's about. So my brother, the biochemist sent me to go see his friend, um, Dick, who is a computer engineer, among many other things, um, in Pasadena. So we would be in his garage soldering things um, and looking at, you know, he taught me all kinds of cool stuff. Um, And I remember Dick saying one time um, that my brother, he wasn't being challenged enough at his job. And I said, why do you say that? And he said, because he's got hobbies. (laughs) Wow. Interesting. And it was a really satisfying. And what I think he meant by that was... Everything that Dick does is about his work. So he does, he uh, works with a lot of artists on rigging uh, sort of technological elements of their pieces. He is, he's investing in startups. He's working with these uh, technology startup companies. He's, everything he does is related to his work. And I, and I really I understand that and sympathize with that. I feel like... I, I'm a voracious reader and all of it is the, it's all to the same end. Um, it all feels part of the same conversation. So to me, my interest in neuroscience and all of these neuroscience books I'm reading directly influence me as an artist and an actor. It, it all feels like work. It doesn't feel like a hobby really. Mm-hmm. Um, so my improvisational writing experiment with my painter friend that turned into us creating this art book is part of the same conversation about collaboration and artistry. And I think what that means to me is I love that I get to be an artist for my life because it feels like I get to devote 
my all, all my waking time to self discovery um, mm. and introspection, and I think it's um, you know it, it's the most examined life, and I, I, that's in all of my interests. Mm. So. Being a reporter is really similar. Like I instantly relate it to my job as an actor and how that uh, is, you know, is sort of is the same process. Yeah. Or, you know, all the, this I, I really, I have an amateur interest in science. So neuroscience and um, physics specifically, uh, they're beautiful ideas about, um, you know, unity and separateness and, um, you know, the Higgs boson is a beautiful mystery. And these, these ideas engage me on an artistic level. There's sort of a one little through line that I would love to figure out a way to do with art is to bring science closer to the cultural center. Um, I think it, it exists outside the cultural center. I think there are so many ways that we can relate the humanities to technology and to science and, uh, and the arts, and they're so separate now. And I don't think we can continue that way. I think that's a, it, it's, uh, it's fruitless. It's a fruitless direction to go. Um, so I, I find a, a lot of inspiration, artistic inspiration in science and technology. And that's sort of like a, like a little theme that I'd love to kind of develop further. That is so cool. That is so cool. And one thing that Anthony Mindel, who's an acting coach that we interviewed a while ago, clarified for me and what I'm hearing again is just that it all kind of comes from and goes to the same place. Um, and this is coming from somebody who's kind of practicing not having either or about everything in their life. You know, if I spend time in this, it takes away from time from that and so on and so forth. So it's kind of cool to hear that, no, it's all part of the same kind of plate. I don't know. Yeah. I, I love that. Well, yeah, we had, um, we had a conversation so much that once when I think we were talking about your former agent who, who was on the show, Chris. Yeah. She didn't, she have yeah. a, she had a conversation with like an act, another actor she represented and the actor was like, um, uh, I really want to go live in Europe for like three months or something. Do you remember yeah. this? Yeah. And, and uh, she was uh, like, the actor was afraid to tell her agent, like, I really want to go like, and it's going to, so I have to like, I guess book out or are you going to drop me? Like, please don't dr-. just really fearful of this conversation. And the agent was like, go, go and have life experiences because all it's going to mean is that when you come back, you're going to be a better actor. Because being a better actor or being a better human is being a better actor and yeah. vice versa. Um, and I, I love that, you know, I love hearing anyone say that like all these things that I'm interested in doing and participating in, just like you were saying, Trav, it all kind of goes back into the, the soup. The stew. Yeah, the, the stew. soup. Yeah, that's really great. I think of acting as my way into the whole world. Um, and then conversely, everything in the world can uh, come back and talk about, talk and be something useful for me as an actor and an artist. Hmm. Yeah. I love that. Epic. It's just so great just to see it, to, to, to see it happening successfully, yes. you know, kind of shoots a hole in all my, you know, self-limiting beliefs and <laughs> theories. Um, Which are what? That you should focus on one thing. Is that what that? Yeah, that exactly, exactly that I've got to, to succeed at something, I've got to put like singular focus on it and like cut out distractions and everything. But when it comes to art, the, the boundaries aren't so clearly defined, you know, it's like, okay, so I'm not going to read a book. It's like, how does that support me as someone whose job is in a creative field to kind of find the different textures and, and the richness and truth? 
it's like, okay, so I'm just cutting my, I'm cutting off a limb basically. So well, it's, it's about finding that balance. Whenever I've come up against a big, is it an either or question? Um, the real, I just, it's the real truth is that it's both things at once. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and it's so hard to accept that that's, that that's so, but it really feels like the most truthful thing. And so, um, you know, I wonder if there's a way of doing both of those things at the same time of really single-mindedly focusing on the thing you want to do while allowing everything the broad, vast array of your interests and things to be part of that focus, that yeah. intense laser focus on what you do. Hold on tightly, let go lightly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, to come full circle. <laughs> That's, yeah. So these two questions that we like to kind of wrap up with uh, are a little bit meta, but that's why we love them. So the first one is, do you feel like this career path, this lifestyle chose you or did you choose it? Those are the see. I think about that for a moment, and then I get into the semantic differences of, of just the <laughs> words. Um, oh, I I chose to do this. Mm. Um, I don't I don't think I believe in fate really uh, or predetermination or yeah. I think I actively chose to do this. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Did you? <sighs> Yes and no. I would say both for me. For me. Um, it's something that won't let me go. You know, I had a conversation with my dad a couple of years ago and I was just kind of complaining about, you know, how hard I have it as a, you know, educated white male <laughs> in America who decided to have the luxury to go be an actor. And he said, he said, Trevor, you know, you could go and make $800,000 a year as a commercial real estate agent. He's like, I have no doubt that you could do that. He's like, but you chose this. He's like, so just own that. This is just part of the process. And I was like, oh, yeah, I did. So I did choose it, and I actively choose to stay here all the time. But at the same time, I couldn't, I couldn't go do anything else. I've tried. <laughs> it doesn't work, you know? I feel similarly in that. Like, I always felt like I had the, the call. I just felt like, I don't know, I grew up a big ham and doing school plays and stuff, like you were saying, Carrie, and... Um, home place, but there, but there does come a point in your life where you're like, holy shit, am I really going to do, you know, when I think, you know, like literally writing the word theater on all of my college applications, it's like, that was like a big deal. You know, it's like, I'm okay. That's it. This is it. I'm doing against everyone's quote unquote sound advice, including my cousin who had been on Broadway for like six years. She was like, go to school for math. Like, what are you doing? That's what she said. Yes. Ah, Go to school for math. I love it. I love it. Should we let our listeners in on that or not? No, 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 it's our secret. Okay. Um, Awesome. So, um, the second question is, Oh wait, can I just elaborate on that for one second? This is about romantic love. (laughs) Um, I think this maybe sounds anti-romantic. Um, but, uh, people that have this, you know, when I, when I think about the idea that, um, we are destined for one person and we have a soulmate that's out there in the world for us, um, that makes me nervous (laughs) (laughs) and I don't believe it. I don't think it's true. I think there's all kinds of people that I could fall in love with and the value of the person that I, um, that I, you know, if I were to spend my time or life with a person, um, 
the value is in my choosing that person. And that is where I find the romantic moment that it's not preordained. It isn't a magical thing that neither of us had control over. And it baffles me sometimes why people love to feel that they were meant for another person. Um, I like to feel that I picked you and, Mm. and I could have picked someone else, but I picked you because I love you. Um, and I, I, feel that way when you, that's what I think of when you say, did you choose this life or did it choose you? I think I chose it and that's what matters. So does it, it's value. Yeah. Wow. I love that. That's because beautiful. I could have been an astronaut or an astrophysicist. You know what I mean? Yes. You, or a biochemist. <laughs> sounds like you <laughs> biochemist. are. Uh, you know, sometimes that's really cool. Um, I love that. That gives me warm fuzzies. Okay. Um, the second question is, um, if you, you know, in in the, all the experiences that you've had, you know, you could start out when you were 12, I don't know, uh, of acting and um, everything that you've read and everything that you've experienced and everything that you've learned on set, off set, on stage, off stage. If you could boil it all down to like one nugget of advice. <laughs> sort of like the desert island question, right? If you could boil oh. it down to one nugget of advice, like what would that be? Um, I can't, I actually had some reservations about coming and talking to you guys today because I'm in a, I'm feeling lately like, um, the only real teacher is experience and to a degree to invest in what other people say, other people's advice or opinions, or even thinking about, uh, the, the road that they traveled, um, I'm in a place right now where I feel like that doesn't that actually gets you off on the wrong track sometimes. I think um, the the thing it's it is it is fiercely idiosyncratic and personal, and um, I really don't I, I really feel dubiously about any kind of advice that anyone can give anyone at the current moment. Um, so if there is advice in that feeling, then I would then you know have at it. Yeah. I was going to say, I, gonna I, say I, I hate to tell you this, but you answered the question. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm sorry. You, you tried to avoid it, but you answered Ask a meta question. Uh, right. Yeah. I get a meta answer. Ah, <laughs> oh, yes. Mm. Yes. Uh, no, I mean, I think you said it right off the bat, which is like the greatest teacher's experience. Yeah. We've never really been, actually, we should gonna... change the end of that question actually, because we've never really been about advice. The podcast has never really been about advice. It's really just about a, an open conversation and the, the forum has created a, it actually has created a community of actors around it. And so we have this dialogue with our listeners where they send in questions, but they also send in comments, dissent, uh, agreement, like, yes, no, maybe uh, that's interesting, you know? Mm. Um, And so it's, it, it, we really do feel like it's, it's, it's a dialogue and not us like, you know, saying do this. I think we start. We used to start out every every single episode. Used to start off with us going, "We're not experts. We just started the podcast because we're looking for the answers, not because we have them." So well, I, I guess I, I kind of want to change the end of that question. Like, it's not a nugget of advice. It's more like a nugget of wisdom. <laughs> or something. Mm. You know what I mean? Um, so, I, I yeah, I would I would say. <laughs> um, the value for me personally in being here is having had this dialogue with you. And so to other people, I'd say either don't listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> don't listen to anything I or, say. Or listen to it and then forget it. Um, mm. But the uh, but thanks because uh, in conversation, it really helps me um, 
to clarify my own ideas for myself. Um, and you guys are really, uh, good listeners and you ask really good questions. And, um, so thanks for what a, a lovely conversation. Oh, well, thank you. Thanks for being Thank here. you. This yeah, has been awesome. Seriously. If people want to find out more about you and connect with you on the internet, I don't know if you do Twitter or Facebook or anything like that, but the only one, I only do the Instagram and they're the all Instagram. really enigmatic pictures of like birds on wires and awesome. <laughs> weather <laughs> pictures of okay. the weather. Sweet. Sweet. <laughs> so right. if you're into the weather <laughs> and birds on. No, that's, that's absolutely perfect. Actually. I, I, I realized the other day that Instagram is just a bunch of selfies. Oh, I can't. And I was like, when did this happen? I thought Instagram was supposed <laughs> to take photos of like the world around you, not pictures no. of yourself no but, it is it is 50% selfie <laughs> I know but that. I do love seeing everyone's dogs yeah oh, it makes yeah. me so happy and there's dogs and kids there's something to Facebook be. used to be yeah right <laughs> <laughs> um wow Carrie thank you so much for taking the time to, a real to come thank out you. here and sit down with us uh and looking forward to all the exciting things ahead for your me career me too guys welcome back um hopefully you are as inspired as we were uh during the conversation it was definitely a shot in the arm of what it is to be an actor and what it is to be an artist Mm -hmm. and i yeah like i said i was just i was just very inspired by her perspective on things yeah yeah a true a true artist i was sad that we had to stop recording i really wanted to keep talking to her (laughs) just because you know her perspective on things was so fascinating and it was just great to connect with uh with somebody go to atlanta yeah i know seriously so what's your pick of the week it's a it's a product called coin uh the website's only coin.com and it is Someone has finally come up with uh, a uh, a way of putting all of your credit cards into one uh, card. So it's this thin card, but it's, it must have some kind of like miniature computer inside of it, and it stores all of your credit card information um, in this one card. And uh, you can swipe it just like any payment card. And there's a, like a, this little button on it that allows you to change which card you are actually using um and for security it's actually tied to your cell phone so that if you were to ever leave it somewhere or whatever like your cell phone actually lets you know that you've left it behind um and there's like a bluetooth uh a bluetooth thing like your cell phone will beep or something yeah going out of range and there's an app on your uh smartphone um that lets you sort of control it so i'm assuming that they've also got, you know, some other security stuff layered in there in that, you know, if you were to actually truly lose it, you could probably go into the app and, you know, remove all of your credit cards, for instance, and then it would be a useless, you know, yeah, yeah. thing. Yeah. So, um, it's, it's 50 bucks, um, and then $5 for shipping or something like that. So it's $55. You can pre-order it now. It's going to ship, um, in summer of 2014 and like i'm definitely going to the only reason i haven't pre-ordered one yet is because i went onto the website and watched the video and then didn't have time to actually put my order in but i'm i'm definitely going to be getting one cool um cool. 
that that sounded that was like the most advertisey pick of the week ever <laughs> but i don't care because it looks amazing theoretically you'd only need you'd only need one of these for the rest of your life or until something better comes out because when your cards update like i get a new card from my bank every you know few years with like a new number and new expiration date and new security code and everything you just go into the app and you update the information yeah. in the app and that automatically links to the car as it's and you, or you swipe it, I guess. You swipe it using the swiper thing they give you Yeah. to update the information on the card. It's really cool, man. It's really cool. Yes. Yeah. I love the simplification and what a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. They, yeah. they, they're going to be good billionaires. Yeah. Um, Sweet. what's your POT dubs? My POT dubs is, uh, is a film, a short film version. And I, don't recall if I've spoken about this in the podcast before, but I read a book a little while ago, a short book by Tom Hartman called The Last Hours of Humanity. And it's a, it's about, this was my pick of the week a few episodes ago. It's a short book that details uh, the th- imminent threat that is um, <clears throat> global warming. And it puts it in, it, it, it brings something to light that I was unaware of carbon is a greenhouse gas as we all know Mm -hmm. and we're pumping lots of it into our atmosphere and it's already heating the planet i think we've already heated by like two two and a half degrees in the past 50 years or so um, which is unprecedented in the history of the planet it blows my mind that some people can still deny that this is not human caused um i got into it with somebody on a couple people on facebook last night actually because i posted a link about about from the climate reality project. I just shared a link on my timeline and people were like, Oh, and like, it's, it's ridiculous to lump all this lump pollution in with global warming. Like this is not man caused it's misinformation and fear mongering. And I was like, Oh my God, really, really right now. Really? Yeah. Anyway. So there's I said, there's not a single scientist on the planet that, uh, that disagrees. with. There me. are more scientists that agree that, global warming is an imminent threat to our species and that it's human caused more scientists agree on that point than agree that smoking is harmful to your health. <laughs> like, how could you, how could okay. you, I don't understand how people could think that this is like some government line to us to make, how, how would you make money off of this? Tell me how this benefits anybody financially, except for like solar panel companies and things like that, you know? Anyway, so this, this book was about, um, the kind of hidden threat in the ice caps and in our, on our ocean floors, which is all this frozen methane. There's tons and tons and tons of frozen methane in the ice caps below the ice and on the ocean floor. And as the planet heats up, it starts to melt the ice caps and warm the oceans. And we're seeing the oceans warm and become increasingly acidic already. And, Uh, as it does that, the methane is released and methane is 10 to 20 times more potent a greenhouse gas than carbon is. So once the methane gets into the atmosphere, we hit this, we hit this tipping point where it just spirals out of control and becomes a kind of feedback loop. And, uh, we're already seeing temperatures approach those as far as like the, um, uh, the, the like tipping point I just talked about, we're already seeing us, we're approaching that. And the last time in our history, we've approached that was 250 million years ago during the last great die off of life called the Permian mass extinction, where 99% of all life on the planet was extinguished due to just 
inhospitable climate and we're headed there and this this film is a short 10 minute film and it just lays it out really compellingly really clearly and um i watched it again last night and tom hartman wrote the book and narrates this movie and produced this little movie and i just thought it was brilliant so as somebody who cares about the climate and got really saddened by the conversations that he was having last night on Facebook with these people who were telling me him that it was fear mongering and misinformation and all this stuff. I would urge our listeners who feel in any way moved by nature, uh, to watch this short film website is called lasthours.org, And the film is called the last hours of humanity. Oh, I, I saw you post about that a while yeah. ago and it's actually one of my tabs, my open tabs right now. Yeah, uh, and I took a, I poked around the website, but I haven't watched the movie yet. So yeah, it's only it's only ten minutes. It's a good one. It's definitely good. And just to put it all in context, that we all, we hear so much about carbon, but we don't hear about the kind of more complex issue, which is that the carbon is people are saying like, oh, the planet's not warming as fast as scientists predicted, and the reason is is because it's all going into the oceans. The oceans are absorbing more heat than scientists predicted, which is even worse. Yeah. Um, for, for many, many reasons, but this methane being one and the acidification of the oceans being the other in which, because it's killing off so much life in the oceans, like uh, it just, it breaks my heart. It really saddens me how quickly it's happening. I was, uh, morbidly joking with my girlfriend about the potential move to New York and saying, well, at least we'll get away from the Pacific <laughs> because of all the radiation that's in there from the, uh, nuclear plant and that's Japan. and that's a whole other thing have you heard about uh, that yes yeah i mean they're saying that there's another it's likely that another earthquake will hit that region in the next three years and if it's even close to what it was before it's going to completely destabilize the nuclear reactors and then like basically that whole part of the planet is screwed yeah like yeah. this is serious shit and yeah. i'm not i'm not being an alarmist right now i'm not like trying to scare people like i'm i'm just simply like conveying what i'm hearing and i'm yeah. not easily scared about these things like i do my research and this is happening and people are just like i don't want to hear about it i'm just gonna go watch my netflix and i don't know it yeah it's it's terrifying yeah um, we could be very close to catastrophic planetary consequences yes if it happens or when it happens like we deal with it bring it on bring <clears throat> it on we're we're an intelligent species so uh yeah. Either we'll either look, either we'll figure it out or we won't. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's that. Yeah, I just yeah. That's the unfortunate reality. It is. Um uh, so anyway, I don't want to harp on that too much. We may be losing listeners right now, but uh <laughs> let's talk really well, quickly about if we're li- if we're losing them, we're only losing them to radiation. Yeah. <laughs> Sad because it's true. Funny because it's true. Uh, we have a great listener pick from Renee Michelle Bernay, last week's kind of featured patron, and it's a movie that she she came out to L.A. recently just to visit, and she had a cool story about seeing this movie at like a Lemley Theater or some some independent theater. The movie's called A True Story, based on things that never actually happened and some that did, and it looks like a really funny movie that's just made by a couple actor screenwriters who were kind of struggling, as it were, and they made a, basically made a movie about their struggle, but like it just looks really funny. And anyway, she went to go see this movie and it turns out in the theater was the cast and crew of that movie. And she ended up talking to them afterwards and going out to a bar and just chatting with them about the process and whatnot afterwards. And so it was kind of cool to hear that her first LA experience was something so 
kind of epic. Yeah. You know, like I went to see this movie that I really loved and there was everybody in the theater. So anyway, she, we've got a link to the trailer on our website that she linked us to. It looks really fun. Um, so check that out. And before we wrap up, I also want to make sure we give a shout out to Mark, who is our newest patron. Woo-hoo! Thank you for um, joining us, Mark, on this little journey and supporting us. And uh, I thought for our featured patron, we'd pick a longtime supporter of the show, which is uh, Sharina Dorothy. Am I saying that correctly? Is it Karina or Sharina? Karina. Karina. Yeah. It's spelled like C-H, but Karina, um, just wanted to give you a shout out and say thank you. We're going to have a link to um, your stuff on our, on our, in our show notes. And uh, just wanted to thank you for your uh, long-time unwavering support uh, and keeping us going. So that does it for episode awesome. 123. Uh, I know you got to roll out of here, dude. So, yes, sir. Uh, you guys know how to be in touch with us, how to call us, tweet us, Facebook us, all that stuff. Leave us reviews. Uh, of course, the donations go a long, long way in keeping us going. Um, I think that about does it. So Just check out our website, InsideActingPodcast.com. There, everything is there, and uh, we can appreciate it. Uh, even if you just tell your friends about the show and get them to listen to it as well. Um, hopefully they get something out of it, you know. So for Jen Levin, our production coordinator, for Cesar Carmino, I just can't not say his name that way, Cesar Carmino. <laughs> uh, great dude uh, helping us out in the technical end, producing these episodes. I'm your co-host, Trevor Alder. And I'm AJ Meyer. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, don't go down the rabbit hole. This episode of Inside Acting has been brought to you in part by VO2GoGo.com, the award-winning voiceover training system and winner of Backstage's Reader's Choice Award for Best VO Training four years in a row. Visit VO2GoGo.com start for a free Getting Started in VoiceOver online class that will help you add voiceover to your acting portfolio. That's VO2GoGo.com start.